0: Welcome to ResTalk, your source for the latest news, opinions, and training from top building performance, rating, and auditing experts. Here's your host, committed building science enthusiast, and registered professional engineer, Bill Spohn.
1: Welcome back to another edition of the ResTalk podcast, where it's our goal to communicate with the broad array of stakeholders in the ResNet ecosystem. We're looking to provide some thoughtful insights into a variety of topics. Now, whether you're a housing consumer, rater, builder, realtor, or appraiser, you'll want to hear more about the evolving trends in the home energy ratings. The Res Talk podcast is one of the new ways ResNet will communicate with all stakeholders. And I'm your host, Bill Spohn, and I've worked in the HVACR and building performance markets for almost 30 years and began interfacing with ResNet and the team at ResNet for nearly that whole time. After listening, if you like what you heard today and you've not yet subscribed to the podcast, please consider do by typing ResTalk, R-E-S-T-A-L-K, into the search bar in the podcast app, either Google Play or Apple or Stitcher, or a variety of other apps. This way you'll get all the episodes as soon as they're launched. You can also listen in your browser by following the links at www.resnet.us professional. If you're a consumer and want to learn more about the benefits of a home energy rating, please cruise on over to www.resnet.us to learn more. In today's episode, we'll hear from Laurel Elam and Scott Doyle, both staff members on the ResNet. They'll be talking about enhancing quality of hers ratings. We'll learn a lot of interesting information about the goals, the timelines, and really the commitment by these individuals and the ResNet staff as a whole. We'll talk about some resources and how this whole program plays together with listening to the consumers and looking to better the quality of home energy ratings by looking at data. So let's give a listen to what Laurel and Scott have to say. How you folks doing today?
2: Great. Fantastic. Thank you, Bill. Yeah, thank
3: you.
1: Thanks for coming on. It's always important sometimes to get a little bit of background on the person we're talking with, sort of your personal professional background and your background within ResNet. So, Laura, why don't you go first and tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Thanks again for hosting this for us, Bill. We really appreciate it. I live in beautiful Boone, North Carolina, which I usually explain to people, if you look on your IECC climate zone map, there are a couple of counties in North Carolina that are climate zone five. So that is actually where I live. I'm in the heart of the mountains, and I was lucky enough to go to Appalachian State University. And there I found a major appropriate technology, which was more of a study of renewable energy. But within my coursework, I took a course in building science with Jeff Tiller who ended up being one of my mentors, and it was fascinating to me. That's kind of how I first got into looking at building science and looking at energy efficiency. I've always been into sustainability as a whole, But this was the first chance I had to really look at the durability and energy efficiency of buildings. And after graduation, I ended up working with Jeff Tiller, my mentor at Appalachian State University Energy Center. And then in 2010, I ended up working for ResNet. I started working for ResNet full time.
1: So a couple comments about that. That's very interesting, quick background there. And thank you for being so succinct. It's kind of funny. You mentioned the IECC climate map. <laughs> this stuff is really cursing through your veins, Laurel, isn't it? Yeah,
2: absolutely. <laughs>
1: Understanding energy codes and their impact on the environment. And Boone, North Carolina. So it's interesting. ResNet really has a corporate headquarters in San Diego. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, we all work remotely. But our executive director, Steve Baden, is located in Oceanside, or right outside of San Diego.
1: I think that aspect of working remotely gives you sort of exposure and experience with all the clientele and all the stakeholders across the country with ResNet. So that's really a smart move. Probably accidental, but smart in a way.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Now that we've expanded our staff, we've expanded our outreach. And so we have folks all over the country now, which is really exciting.
1: It'd be cool to see like a map with all little stars of points of presence of ResNet around the country.
2: We'll have to work on that.
1: That's great. You one of your uh, infographics. Yeah. <laughs> And Jeff Tiller, I got to meet him last year for the first time, a long time in coming. But I'm going to have him on my podcast sometime soon. Great individual to speak with. So that's wonderful.
2: Absolutely. Thanks. Okay. Hey, Scott,
1: so what's up with you?
3: I went to college thinking I was going to be an elementary school teacher. I made a course correction before graduating, switched to earth science as my major, and then joined the workforce just looking for some way that I could work in the environmental field, which is where my interests had turned. Found myself in the solid waste industry and worked there for several years until a colleague kind of turned me on to a reader training class. And once I read it, I got really excited about that. At that time, this was back in 2002, you would have to sometimes wait up to a year before the next class would be offered. So during that time period, and I was bugging the local training provider here in Colorado where I live, I think they got tired of putting me off. And they said, we're having a speaker come to an event. Why don't you come and check it out? So I went to this very small room. It was about 30 people at a local energy co-op. And one of the presenters happened to be Joe Stebrick. And watching Joe and several other presenters there and then getting introduced to Home energy raiders. There was a home we visited as part of that exercise. I was completely and totally hooked. I knew that that's exactly what I wanted to do. So I was very persistent, stuck with it the full year or so it took before the next raider training class was held. I went to that and pursued the career that landed me a different job a year or two later, where I worked with Energy Logic as a raider. And then I was there for almost 12 years. During that time, I got an opportunity to work in lots and lots of new homes, existing homes, got into quality assurance, became a provider with raiders all over the country. So that exposed me to different climate zones. And then I got into training. So I had the opportunity to teach combustion safety classes, both for PPI and for ResNet. Uh, was a raider trainer. And eventually that landed me here at ResNet as the quality assurance manager.
1: Cool. So, again, both with you and Laurel, I sensed that commitment. You waited a year to take a training class. That's really committed.
3: <laughs> I was hooked. It was definitely obvious to me that this was the thing I was passionate about.
1: That's sort of a perfect segue into your joint commitment here to talk about enhancing the quality of HERS ratings. It sounds like it's a passion that you both share. Laura, why don't you tell us why we're talking about it today? Has there been some kind of change or what's the reason or just because we're talking on first time on a podcast?
2: (laughs) A little bit of both, I think, Bill, but the board of directors several years ago recognized that there was an issue with consistency in HERS ratings. Inconsistency amongst raters, inconsistency amongst quality assurance designees, inconsistency even with training. And in software, there was kind of all of these different elements that were creating just the basic overall inconsistency within the ratings. So the board took the initiative up, developed task force, and within that work, we've done a lot already as far as looking at software consistency. We changed chapter two, which are training requirements, so that there is a better process for the way the writers are trained. And then now they have to do probationary ratings with their rating provider. They have to do five of them now with a candidate field assessor. So we make sure that from the beginning, they know what they need to be doing in the field. But then the next level is quality assurance. And that's why we are really focusing in on building our quality assurance team. Thanks to the board of directors' insight and the fact that they were able to increase residents' budget, we've been able to increase our capacity for quality our quality assurance staff. We're able to hire Scott last year, and now we have hired an infield QA specialist, so that that way we can have more increased oversight on the quality assurance activities that are being conducted by QADs and providers. And half of all of our providers and quality assurance staff are going to be either monitored in an infield, 25% of them are going to be monitored infield, and then 25% of them are going to be monitored in an online review. So we're really trying to figure out what processes they're doing and do mentorship and be able to kind of retrain if there needs to be retraining or making sure that they're enforcing the ResNet standards.
1: These changes came about really through oversight by the board, feedback from the board. How long does it take to make these kind of changes? I know that's kind of a loaded question, but you have to start somewhere. How do you start with this kind of process? It can't be very easy.
2: I mean, a lot of the work was revision to the ResNet standards, and that has taken a while because the first quality assurance amendment that was released for public comment, there was 426 comments that were received. So it was a long process to actually go and review all of those comments. But what ResNet staff recognized is that we had this current flexibility within our current standards because it just said that at least 25 percent of all quality assurance providers will have an additional monitoring. So, it says at least. So, we were able to go ahead and be proactive and change and do more. We were just doing 25% online reviews. Now, within the frameworks of our current standards, we were able to move a little bit more quickly with the implementation of doing more quality assurance along with hiring an additional staff person.
1: Very good. So, Scott, let me ask you this question. I know the ResNet standards are ANSI-based standards. How does that play in? What impact does that have in the process of revising these standards and then the impact upon the quality insurance?
3: Well, let me clarify first. ResNet is an ANSI standard organization. So, we have the ability to write ANSI standards, but we also have separate standards that are non-ANSI. So, currently, We have quality assurance and technical standards, and those are in separate chapters. And in the case of the technical standards, that is an ANSI-approved standard, whereas some of what we're talking about isn't necessarily going to be a published ANSI standard, but ResNet still follows the ANSI process, even for development of those.
1: And that makes a lot of sense. Once you get into that rhythm, you want to stick with it for your standards development process because it does bring a lot of solid foundation for a standard. Very good. Thank you for clearing that up.
3: Yeah. And so to further the answer to your question, following that ANSI process means that you're trying to write a consensus standard. That guides everything from the broader representation for the folks that sit on the standard development committees to the amount of time that you put it out, public comment, and the fact that you even have a public comment process. All of that is with the intention of trying to write a consensus standard. Essentially, it's the industry itself, and our collective participation as an industry is attempting to create these consensus standards that we will all follow.
1: What's the feedback that you're getting? this whole process of enhancing the quality of hers ratings, is it something that is coming with unanimous feedback or some people wish you wouldn't change it? Or how is it kind of settling in with the community and the stakeholders?
3: That probably depends on the aspect. There's so many aspects of the quality assurance standard changes that were proposed, some of which are disruptive to people's current business models. So that's where you see the most contentious disagreement among stakeholders when you're proposing something that disrupts the current marketplace. Probably the most striking example of that was proposal to have financial separation between the folks doing quality assurance and the raters that they're overseeing. And because there was an existing business model that developed under different rules, that change will disrupt the marketplace. And so that's a place where there's been much more sort of vigorous discussion around how that will come out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's been a kind of a thorny topic, but it's important. And to make this some kind of important progress that you're looking to make, it's got to be a rough going at times for some of the individuals. Laurel, coming back around to you, what is the timeline for this? Is there a specific timeline with specific goals in place?
2: Like I said, we've got an initiative in 2018 to do half of all of the rating providers will have an enhanced quality assurance review, 25% online, 25% in the field. That will happen in this calendar year, as well as conducting training for quality assurance designees. We are having a quarterly webinar series so that all of the quality assurance designees will be required to take these trainings. All of that will take place in 2018. We will be putting a plan into place as well to train any newly certified quality assurance designee. And we're looking at the potential of also having a live training for any and all quality assurance designees potentially at the conference. That would be next year. And then in 2019, we also feel that it's important that the ratings providers themselves go through some sort of training, mentorship. So we are going to be planning on doing some training with specifically with rating providers in 2019, as well as continue on with this 50% oversight of quality assurance providers. And the standards for quality assurance will be going back out for public comment sometime this year, hopefully within the next couple of months, a decision needs to be made. As Scott mentioned, the vigorous discussion about the financial separation, the board is going to be reconsidering that specific policy. And after that decision is made, the quality assurance amendment will be going back out for public comment for a minimum of 30 days.
1: When the board meets, are those Open meetings, sometimes open meetings. I mean, can other stakeholders come to those meetings and either listen to or engage in the dialogue?
2: The only ones that are open to the public, Bill, are the ones that we have either at the conference. We have two annual in-person board meetings, and those are always open to the public.
1: Got it. There is a way of directly communicating, and everyone I've met is very approachable on staff. So,
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's the great thing about the public comment process. That's really how the stakeholders have a voice, and we go through that every time we release something for public comment. Here's how you do it. Here's the information that you need to provide. You need to make sure you're putting an underlying strikeout form, suggest edits. That's really important to have our stakeholder involved in the public review and comment process.
1: You sound like you're the most familiar with that, so I'll come back around to you. Is there, do you think, a high enough level of awareness of the public comment process, and do you believe there needs to be perhaps more engagement with that, or are you seeking additional insight or input from stakeholders?
2: I've seen more and more engagement as the process has gone along, how we've become an ANSI standards development organization, as Scott mentioned. Now we're mirroring that process of public comment and review in our non-ANSI standards. And so just based upon the volume, the 426 comments we got the first time on the QA amendment, I see that there's a lot of good involvement. And what I've been seeing too, because I've been kind of assisting along the way with our standards development committees, is the quality of the comments. Because we've been telling folks, hey, you just can't say, I don't like this. Take this out. You have to say, here's what I suggest as a revision. And so I'm seeing a lot more of that now and a lot more of really thoughtful comments. And I can tell you from that first round of quality assurance comments that a lot of them, there was a small review committee that reviewed all of those that were like, oh, this is much better. This language is much better. This idea is much better than what was initially proposed.
1: Excellent. Sounds like sort of a maturity in the overall organization and the constituents and things like that. And That actually sounds like a sigh of relief right there, Lauren. Yeah. Scott, from your perspective, and you've been in the field a lot, it sounds like some of these changes are happening and they are going to impact business models and things like that. It sounds like you could be sensitive to that having worked more directly in that kind of role. Is that true?
3: Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I received a lot of feedback when I accepted the position. I think from the outside, there's a perception that it's a good improvement to have that perspective on staff because I have worked as a raider, as a provider, as a trainer. So a lot of the issues that you see from the outside looking in, you can feel like there's this other entity like ResNet is something separate from you and they're making decisions and doing things to harm your business model. And that's certainly not the case at all. I think if you engage with anybody that works on staff or that goes to the trouble to become elected as a board member, you'll find that they are very passionate. They care a lot about our industry. They want the best for ResNet and for the industry as a whole. So in general, nobody's out to, quote unquote, get you or try to take your money or something. It's the changes that get made sometimes do have financial and business impacts that are real, but there always is an intention for the greater good of the industry behind those.
1: Excellent. It sounds like part of the reason for doing this podcast, I think, is to present the people that are working in the organization and the projects they're working on as real people that are down to earth. You can communicate with them. They've had similar experiences to you. So I'm encouraging anyone listening to this to please engage. And on that note, what kind of resources or connections can they use to engage with residents on these various topics? Do you have any web links or recommended sites or email addresses, Laurel?
2: I think the folks that know me, since I've been on ResNet staff for quite a bit now, know that they can email me and I will get back to them as quickly as possible and help answer any questions that they might have. So my email address is laurel at resnet.us and Scott, it's pretty easy, scott at resnet.us. So we're always available for questions and comments or concerns. And we've got like a YouTube channel with lots of good videos and different links on that. We've got a dedicated web page. To quality assurance and a lot of helpful links. And the other thing, and you mentioned it already, Bill, is that we're doing these great infographics now that I think really tell a good story about who ResNet is. We've got one on quality assurance. We've just got one on how to become a certified rater if you're just getting into the industry. So I think a lot of those, we're going to try to get those on the website as well. I mean, we've been sending them out through our constant contact link. If you're not on ResNet's constant contact, you can email info at ResNet.us and get on our constant contact. We send a couple of those out every week. But yeah, we've got a lot of really good resources for folks.
1: Sort of, we talked about stakeholders or constituents. Scott, could you enumerate in your mind who are the people that should be involved or are engaged and are you looking for them to have more awareness or feedback in this whole QA process?
3: The emphasis on quality assurance really is necessary because quality assurance is paramount to the success of our industry It is a really key thing for our stakeholders. And if you take a wider view of ResNet stakeholders beyond the raters and rating field inspectors and ResNet-accredited providers, trainers, software, outside of our bubble, the other stakeholders are pretty broad. They're utilities, the construction industry, builders, trades like insulators and HVAC installers and manufacturers. There's a pretty wide array of stakeholders, all the way down to I think the ultimate stakeholder is the home buyer or the homeowner that's at the end of this chain who will live in a home hopefully better, more comfortable, more energy efficient as a result of all of our efforts.
1: That makes a lot of sense. I mean, they really should be sort of at the center of this because they end up owning whatever's at the end of this process.
3: That's the ultimate goal and it's part of ResNet's stated mission.
1: Do you get feedback from utilities and contractors and homeowners, or are there channels for that? or is that more happenstance or is it outreach? How does that happen?
3: You're going to see a much stronger effort on Resnet's part this year for marketing and outreach that is not just directed at those stakeholders I was talking about, but that's directed outward at the general public because we feel that in order to achieve some of our goals, we've got some pretty ambitious goals for example, 50% of all new homes HERS rated by 2020. In order to achieve those, we need to really raise public awareness. So there's going to be a much stronger effort on our part in terms of marketing. The board has approved budget for those efforts, including the position, our marketing director. And we're going to aim a lot more informational marketing at the general public.
1: Sounds like a huge challenge. How do you get together, you have various committees within ResNet. It sounds like there's a lot of cross functional things going on. I mean, obviously you can't have everyone working at the same thing all the time, but how does that sort of work out? How does it play out? And maybe Laura, you could answer that.
2: I mean, as far as the marketing efforts?
1: Yeah. I mean, it sounds like there's so many different touch points going on. How do you come up? How do you envision these programs?
2: We have certain resident staff that work on certain items all of the marketing plans for this year and next year like Scott said our goal by 2020 is to have 50% of homes energy rated which is a lofty goal but i think it's achievable our planning efforts have been reviewed by the board of directors and then our marketing director Valerie Briggs will head up a lot of the marketing efforts we're working with appraisers now which i think is a paramount to the success and the implementation and more builders looking at the Hers index as added value that they're homeowners and that they are wanting in their end product. So Ryan Mears, our program director, is working a lot with the appraisers. We're getting into the MLS as well. So different resident staff members are kind of spearheading different initiatives as Scott and I are obviously in charge of all of the quality assurance, but there's board involvement at some levels as far as reviewing our different plans and giving feedback, but it's a joint staff effort.
1: Absolutely. And I can see where, again, going back to that comment that you made about quality is paramount. If appraisers are going to use it, they're going to sort of stand behind the information and put it into the multi-list service. They have to have a number they can lean on and something that relates back to a quality program that has solid elements to
2: it. Mm -hmm. And we've developed a portal specifically for appraisers so that they can go in and they basically can pull comps like they would for anything else. So they can look in the area and see what other homes have scored so that they know what the added value would be.
1: But that would be like a private portal for appraisers only, not a public thing?
2: That's correct.
1: Can you speak towards how long have appraisers been involved? Is this something new that's come up?
2: Well, I feel like we've been working with the Appraisal Institute for Quite some time, I would say five years or more in just discussions and kind of working together. We do have someone from the Appraisal Institute on our board of directors now, which is excellent. That's a really good connection to have. But the appraisal portal was launched just last year. It took a while to kind of get it all developed, but the access for the appraisers so that they can pull those comps essentially was just launched last year.
1: So are there any kind of touch points that we might have missed in our conversation so far about this discussion of enhancing the quality of ratings? Uh, Scott, do you have any things that we might have glossed over or skipped over on your mind?
3: Well, I want to clarify that we've talked about a couple different things. Some of the changes in the context of quality assurance and other broader changes, you'll see as standard changes. And those take Longer because of trying to have them be consensus and engaging the public in the whole public comment period. But then there are other changes that Laurel has detailed out that are board directives. It's ResNet's staff's job basically to implement those directives. Some of them need to run through a standard change in order to make those changes, but many of them, as she listed, can be implemented essentially right away without having to go through a whole standard process. So as an example, the board has approved a budget that allowed for the hiring of some of our new positions. And the latest example is our quality assurance field position, which is going to allow us without a standard change to do greater oversight and mentoring of ResNet providers and quality assurance designees in the field. And it's going to dramatically increase our visibility and our presence in field, And we think there's going to be a lot of learning in both directions, both ResNet staff getting feedback about the realities that people are facing in field in terms of trying to implement the standards as they're written. And then it also gives us an opportunity to listen to them, to let them ask questions. If there are vague interpretations that they want to kind of check, am I doing this the way I'm supposed to? We think there's going to be a lot of positive outcomes from the hiring of that position and implementation of something that doesn't require a standard change at all.
1: Is that position filled? Are that person in action right now? Or has that been budget approved and will happen?
3: Yeah, we've announced that hire. Billy Giblin is the person that we've hired to fill that position. And we'll be introducing him on a future webinar shortly to the industry at our very next quality assurance training webinar. And Billy's going to start getting out into the field probably within a matter of weeks. Right now, he's going through onboarding and training. We're very excited to have him. He has basically made a career out of doing exactly what we're going to ask him to do, which is quality assurance oversight, yes, but also in-field mentoring. And he's a really good communicator, and we're very excited for him to be on board.
1: That's pretty awesome. Congratulations. Glad you got him up and running so quickly. How about Laurel? Is there anything that we might have missed or skipped over in terms of this whole concept?
2: Well, I'd like to talk a little bit about the implementation of some new technology because, again, this is something that we don't have to wait on any standards change for that's going to give us a more proactive approach, is what Scott liked to say, of quality assurance monitoring. So, we now have implemented for at least a year or more, two years, I think we have had what we call QA Genie up and running. And what QA Genie does is it looks globally at all of the rating files for certain anomalies or errors or things that just might not feel right? Are people consistently rounding their duck to the outside number, for example? Something like that. So, we've got lots and lots of ratings now that have gone through the QA genie. Scott uses it as a tool all the time. And we're going to be presenting some of those findings. But this gives us a proactive approach to go and look at different providers or look at different raters or look at different regions and things like that so that we can maybe get ahead of some errors and say, go to a provider and go, hey, what's going on with this certain individual rater or raters in certain cases? So the QA Genie is a very great tool for a proactive approach to quality assurance monitoring. And then we also have built in, we've got a ResNet Buildings Registry that has been around since mid-2012. All of the home energy ratings have been entered into this database, the ResNet Registry. So, we have been using that sort of as a quality assurance tool when I became QA manager in 2012. So, now we know exactly how many ratings are done per rater so that we can make sure that they're hitting their 10% file review or their 1% field review. So, it's been very helpful in that way. We've taken it up another level. And now the reading providers can track their quality assurance within the registry. The way it works right now is that at the end of the year, they total up everything that they've done or they finish it up in Q1 of the following year. And in March of the next year, they send me their quote annual report showing me what they've done, which is great. But it doesn't give me the opportunity to go, hey, you guys are falling behind a little bit on your quarterly file review requirement, for example. When raters are tracking it or rating providers are tracking their quality assurance in the registry, I'll kind of be able to see it in real time. So I will know ahead of time instead of at the end of the year or the beginning of the next year if they've fallen behind on their quarterly file QA review requirements. So that is really exciting to me. That's something that's been in the making for quite some. Bit. It's a voluntary thing at this point. Not all rating providers are required to use it. But if they do use it, then they don't have to worry about sending that piece in their annual quality assurance report to me. The other thing that we developed, it's not necessarily technology because it's a spreadsheet, but that's somewhat technical, is that we have created, we revamped there was a file and field QA checklist that was just a check the box type of checklist. And we are actually currently vetting a new spreadsheet tool where you're able to enter in a severity score and we've got some numbers kind of in the background that'll calculate out a score and we're trying to determine what is a fair pass or fail threshold. So if we can get all providers to start using a consistent file and field QA checklist, then that makes the file and field QA review more consistent between all providers. Because what we have found, and Scott found out this too when he did the online reviews last year, is that there's inconsistency amongst the way QADs are doing their file and field QA. So, if we can find a way to make that particular item more consistent, then that would be very helpful as far as our end goal, which is consistency in ratings.
1: Did you ever imagine it would be this data intensive? I mean, you have to become data experts. You've been at this about seven, eight years, Scott, for longer. It's really interesting here. And I guess a lot of today's world does rely upon quality assessments are made with data. And you're really tightening up that data transfer and the velocity of the data and being more proactive so that you know ahead of time and that real-time aspect is very important. I think that kind of lowers tensions with everyone too. If they're able to get that more real-time feedback, it's more of a corrective action rather than a dunning notice or a traffic ticket at the end of the year.
2: That's exactly the approach that we want to have. And technology is helpful in that way. I mean, there's a lot of rating providers out there that already have great tracking databases and really good proactive approaches. So ResNet needed to kind of go down this pathway too. And technology is just super helpful. I mean, you were talking about data. I mean, my mind thinks about how I learned on magna gauges, and now there's all these fancy, wonderful, fabulous gauges that are digital and can have GPS, you know, all of this sort of stuff in there. So technology is our friend, and we've got to embrace it and figure out how it's going to help us get to that next level.
1: Fantastic. So you'd mentioned contact info for you individually. And of course, there's the conference. Sometimes we never know who's going to listen to the podcast because it is a public thing. Of course, people will be kind of driven or directed there from ResNet's uh, resources and communication, but sometimes various people pick things up. So I think it's important to note ResNet.us is the website. And uh, I believe there's a consumer as well as a professional side to that. Is that true?
2: That's correct, Bill. Yep. The ResNet.us is basically our consumer face. If you type in ResNet.us slash professional, you'll get to more of our professional page, how to become a rater, all of those quality assurance resources that I spoke about, listing of our rating providers, training providers, that sort of thing.
1: So any other topics we would like to cover at this point?
3: There was something I wanted to add to the discussion on data, Bill. We recognized pretty early on when I was a rater that we were really in the data business. If you look at the list of minimum rated features of a home that are in ResNet standards, that guides energy raters through the list of things that they have to categorize, document about an individual home. And then those things are applied to the software that ResNet accredits and that's used to generate the HERS index. But ultimately we're talking about a whole bunch of different individual pieces of data that go into the HERS index calculation. And all of that is just for a single rating. And now you start to compound that by the 2 million plus HERS rated homes in ResNet's history. A million of those plus are in ResNet's building registry just since it was created in 2012. So we're talking about a tremendous volume of data that is represented by our registry. And I think it was a really important piece of foresight to parse all of that data so that not only does the database contain a record that these are the addresses of the homes that were rated and here's their scores, but it includes all of the data that goes behind all of those scores. And now there is a lot of power in mining that data for information and trends. And for Laurel and I, the important thing is through the use of QA Genie, we can use all of that parsed data to look Across a reader's work and basically do a different level of quality assurance that is automated and is beyond something that human eyes could do alone in terms of statistical analysis. So, we're really excited about the addition of QA Genie, but it's only possible because of the existence of the ResNet registry as a database and then the parsing of all of that data that goes into it.
2: Excellent. And Scott, I would like to add to one thing I was going to say about QA Genie is that you can look at a rater's scope of work, all of their ratings, and you can see improvement. That's one thing that we really wanted to try to show and accomplish through QA Genie is if we found issues with either a rating provider or a rater, and then we inform them about that issue, and then we can track the improvement as well.
1: And I imagine overall, it's sort of you're tracking an improvement on the industry, which is your goal. Absolutely. But of course, you don't have the data on the rest of the industry, or maybe you do. Somehow, does anyone ever... What's the state of non-rated homes? Is that ever something that's looked at? Just a curiosity of mine.
3: What I can state pretty unequivocally, this is anecdotal from my own experience. When working with a brand new builder that had never hired a rater before, there was always a very large difference in terms of performance. It's not just a matter of selecting or making purchasing decisions. It's about having an additional third-party quality oversight that's looking at the installation quality in terms of insulation, air sealing, you're going to see that trending towards the quality of installation for HVAC, which is something I think your audience will care about. Through just having a third party that is overseeing that, you see a trend, an upward trend in terms of the overall home's performance. So basically what I'm saying is through my own experience, I would say that Homes that are not HERS rated would tend to be lower performance than homes that are HERS rated. There haven't been dramatic studies that I know of, but I think that'd be a really interesting study for someone to do.
1: Yeah, it's interesting curiosity there. We've captured the resources on um, where you can get in touch with the website, the email addresses, join the email list. That's I'm sure that's an easy thing to do from the website or by contacting either one of you. So I want to thank you for coming on board today to talk about enhancing the quality of HERS ratings. It sounds like it's a process in progress. A lot of uh, dramatic and interesting achievements have been done, and some of these things might not be at the awareness level of uh, some of the stakeholders and constituents and even the raters that are involved. So this gives us a way to discuss them and make them a little bit more, get a little bit more of the personal dialogue going. I'd like to uh, thank you again and encourage you to come back, as I'm sure you will, to talk about some future topics on the Res Talk podcast. But at this point, we're going to wrap things up today and want to thank you, Scott and Laurel, for coming on.
2: You're very welcome, Bill. Thank you so much for doing these podcasts.
3: Thank you, Bill. Great
2: job.
1: Goodbye, everyone. And we'll talk to you again on the Res Talk podcast. Well, thank you for listening to the Res Talk podcast. If you're intimately involved with the ResNet system, you will really want to consider coming to the national conference, which is coming up in February 25th through 27th in 2019, and that will be in New Orleans, Louisiana. It's a great conference, a lot of interesting people, motivating speakers, technical discussions, and really just a good time to get together with all those stakeholders in the ResNet community. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast and hope you learned a thing or two it will help perhaps change your perspectives or prompt some questions or satisfy your curiosity about what's happening in the world of ResNet. If you're a pro in the building market, you want to surf over to www.resnet.us professional to learn more or to join the email list. Or you can also find ResNet on Facebook or Twitter at ResNet US, ResNetUS, R-E-S-N-E-T-U-S we talking with uh, Scott and Laurel today, really kind of got from them the essence of their commitment, the fact that this whole kind of energy rating market aspect really courses through the blood in their veins. They're very committed to this, and I chose a quote today or a thought for the day for us to leave with, and that's by Vince Lombardi. Perfection is not attainable, but if we chase perfection, we can catch excellence. So if you're not subscribed, please do so. As always, thank you for listening to the Res Talk Podcast.
0: Thanks for listening to the Res Talk Podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bill Spohn, produced by Brian Orr, and is a production of ResNet, the Residential Energy Services Network. The best way to listen to this podcast is to subscribe on an iPhone using the podcast app, or on an Android device by downloading the Stitcher app and searching for Res Talk. If you are willing, a review on iTunes or the podcast app will help others find the show and would be very much appreciated we look forward to talking again soon on res talk